Hi folks, welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. Here at Fig Tree Ministries, our mission is twofold. First, we want to help people explore deeper into the biblical text by helping them gain a broader understanding of the cultural and historical context to which the scripture was first written. Second, we want to help people see the powerful way that scripture speaks spiritually, and that's in order for us as individuals to experience spiritual growth. And spiritual growth is the lifelong transformation of becoming more and more Christ-like in all aspects of our lives. It is this spiritual transformation that radically affects the reality of the world around us and has a direct impact on the manifestation of the kingdom of God into our world. Spiritual growth is the most critical and the most courageous journey you can embark upon. So we hope that this lesson today challenges you and inspires you to continue along your personal growth journey. Last week, it was Feast of Trumpets. It was a week ago, Friday night, Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet blows. It awakens everybody because you're going to come before the king. That's the, the image that we see. The trumpet blast wakes you up. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of reflection. You come before the king for judgment. And we'll talk more about what are we judging today. We'll talk more about that in this holiday. That was last week. Now, starting tonight, 10 days later, is what we call the Day of Atonement. So that begins tonight at 6.30, well, whenever sundown is, is going to start what the Bible calls the Day of Atonement, or if we use the Hebrew phrase, Yom Kippur. And we'll talk about what the meaning of that is here in a second. So that starts tonight, and that's the whole reason we're going to talk about these holidays, because you want to talk about them as they're taking place. Because God is on a calendar, and everything he does is woven into this calendar. And as we saw last week and we'll review today, Jesus is intimately woven into these holidays. So we want to be able to pull them a little bit closer to us in our Christian faith and say, why should I pay attention to this holiday? Because Jesus is fulfilling all of these holidays. So that's our main point of taking a look at these. Now, last year, let me just tell you what we did last year, and I've got a, the video of this last year is posted, it's on the internet, and what I'll do is I'll put a link to that video in the description of this video once I get it up online. So last year, we focused on the ritual of Day of Atonement. So if you read in Leviticus and in Numbers, when they talk about the Day of Atonement, it says you're going to get two goats, and the two goats are look, look similar. One of them is going to be named the scapegoat. You can see that on the screen there, one labeled the scapegoat. The other one is going to go to be the sacrifice toward, for God. And the priest then is going to lay his, he's going to confess the sins of the nation onto this scapegoat, and the scapegoat then carries away the sins of the people. Now, who's our scapegoat? Well, it's Jesus. He's the one who 
paid the penalty for somebody else's sins. He took the penalty. That's a scapegoat. And he carried those sins away. And so as a fulfillment of Day of Atonement, Jesus becomes the scapegoat. We noted last year, and this is, if you, if you missed this video last year, go check it out because there's an interesting phenomena that happened. In order to identify the scapegoat, it might be hard to see on your screen, maybe not, they put a red thread, a scarlet thread, on that scapegoat because the moment you say that's the one who's going to carry away our sins, we want to make sure we identify it. So they put a, they put a scarlet thread around that scapegoat. And then you place the sins on the goat. Well, they take the goat out into the wilderness, try to kill it because they don't want it coming back in. And what they would do is they would take that scarlet thread and they would hang it on the temple. And every year, that scarlet thread, just like Isaiah says, your sins are like scarlet, but they'll be white as snow. Every year, that scarlet thread would turn white until about 30 to 33 AD, the red thread stopped turning white, meaning that sacrifice no longer, was no longer accepted by God. Now, what happened somewhere around 30 to 33? Well, there was a new atoning sacrifice in Jesus. So that's a radical shift in the cosmos. And that, where the detail around that comes from Jewish writings. They say, look, 40 years before the temple was destroyed, which is somewhere around 30 AD, God stopped accepting the, the sacrifice. And that just puts you in a, uh, it's a state of chaos because doesn't God forgive our sins any longer? Well, he does. He just has a new sacrifice. And the new sacrifice, of course, is Jesus. So if you have a chance or you, or you want to, see more about that, you can check out the video we have online. Okay, so now this year, though, what I want to do is I want to talk about Day of Atonement a little bit differently. We're not going to do the ritual. That was last year. I want to just talk about Day of Atonement as part of our life cycle of being a Christian, or in the first century, the life cycle of Judaism within the first century. So there's a couple things that we need to establish about how, why this, how this holiday works or why it's there. So the first thing is, God is a God who wants to forgive you. And that is just, sometimes we, you know, we, we get this image maybe of God as an angry God up in the sky who just wants to blast people. Yet that's not true, right? God wants to be in relationship and he wants to forgive you because we're all going to fail in our relationships and create messes. And so God is a God who wants to forgive. And so what he does in Leviticus and the Old Testament, God provides a mechanism for forgiveness. And if we have to remember as we read what we, the Day of Atonement, this is God's word saying, look, if you do this, I will forgive you. And so he's providing a mechanism for forgiveness. What happens after Jesus is the mechanism itself gets transformed so that Jesus becomes, he's the sacrifice once for all. So God wants to forgive, he provides a mechanism, and he provides us a ritual, and we'll talk about this multiple times today, about the idea that rituals are very powerful. Um, God, does, God doesn't give you an idea, he wants you to act out something, so that your whole physicality, your body, your mind, your spirit, are all involved in this 
ritual that brings about forgiveness. So it's very important that we recognize the power of rituals and how they help us move basically into this kind of new, this new era when you go through the ritual. Okay, I need to make a disclaimer today. But you might not recognize that in seminary, there are, within like a Masters of Divinity, there's two th- different streams you can go down. One of them is biblical studies. That's what I, that's my choice. Biblical studies, my focus is Old Testament, or theological studies. The whole time this week, I kept thinking, I'm going to step on someone's theological toes today. And I just know it. And I, because my strength is not theological studies, it's biblical studies. And I don't intend, if I step on a theological toe, I don't intend to do it, but I get clumsy around theology rather than biblical studies. So let me just show you some differences. In biblical studies, we're really more concerned about what happened prior to, say, even 100 AD, because that's by the time the book of Revelation comes around, where theological studies is looking across the whole span of church history. So if you notice, the way we have done these Bible studies is it's always focused on the culture, it's focused on the history, and it's focused on the idea of what did those first people hear, right? So if we want to understand America today, we need to go backwards about 150 to 200 years and look at how all of the stuff that's happened in the past affects us today. Same thing with the Bible. You always want to look at what the cultures surrounding it, what brings that forward. So your focus is much more on culture, history, and how did the first hearers hear the Bible. Theological studies look at how the church interprets things. How did we build doctrines? How did we come up with philosophical statements that says, this is the truth about God, theology? Now, if you'll notice, right, so first of all, I'm totally on this side. And that's why when you guys ask me a theological question, I run the other direction. Because I'm not very, you know, I, I will often try to distract you. Look over there, you know. Because theologically, I want to stay in the biblical side and say, how can we read our Bible to, to pull out those nuggets without, you know, and I try not to tread on any doctrines. Um, that's not always easy to do. But I just want to point this out because we're talking about a couple different things. Atonement. So there are multiple doctrines of atonement. So if I step on a doctrinal tone or toe on, on atonement, I don't intend to, but we're going to talk about atonement, atonement for sins. There's forgiveness issues, and so that gets into some doctrines, and also salvation. And so the whole doctrine of salvation is quite complex. Um, so you'll see that today. We'll talk about some things around the doctrine of salvation. So I'm just going to give this as a disclaimer. I don't intend, if I misstep theologically, I don't intend to misstep. Okay, so if you have your Bible in front of you, turn to Leviticus 23. We did this last week. And what I want to do is just a quick review of all the holidays, because this is where our biblical holidays show up at least in one chapter of the Bible, so it's a good chapter to review every once in a while. And I'm going to do this a little bit faster than last week, since we did it last week. So the holiday system begins somewhere around March to April, 
in what the Bible calls, God calls their first month of the year, and it begins with the holiday of Passover. So Passover is, starts on the 14th day, it's verse 5 in your Bible, but Passover starts on the 14th day of the first month. Then, second holiday, verse 6, is called unleavened bread, and you'll notice unleavened bread starts on the 15th day of Nisan, which is the first month. So it's the very next day. Then the third holiday is called first fruits. That is, that's verse 10 in Leviticus 23. It's the day after the Sabbath. So if you notice, these three holidays are all, they all happen in the span of the same week. 14th day, 15th day, and then the day after the Sabbath. So you're inside the span of the same week. And it's possible that 14th day, 15th day, Sabbath, or I'm sorry, day after the Sabbath, happen three days in a row. Because if unleavened bread is a Saturday, then the very next day, first fruits is a Sunday. All right, that's first three. The fourth holiday, called the Festival of Weeks, or the Feast of Weeks, in Greek, we call it Pentecost. It's the holiday from our New Testament called Pentecost. Didn't start in Acts chapter 2, started way back uh, with Moses, and we find it in Leviticus. So God says, count seven weeks, that's 49 days. Next sentence, on the 50th day, that's where they get Pentecost. Okay, then Feast of Trumpets, this is what we did last week. So now we're, we've, moved, we've jumped forward, we're in the seventh month, and it's the first day of the seventh month. That's when you blow the shofar. It wakes everybody up to come toward to, to judgment, and you're atoned for your sins on the holiday that starts today, the set the tenth day. So day of atonement. Then final oh, I'm sorry. So these two holidays right here, they go together as the call of repentance. Repent, you have judgment of, of your past sins, and then forgiveness. And then the final holiday, of course, Festival of Tabernacles. We'll do that one next week, because that one starts next Friday night, and it's a giant party to say, thank you, God, for all your blessings, and we'll do more of that next week. But there's your seven holidays, at least as they're laid out in Leviticus 23. Now, as we did last week, Jesus shows up and is, is in some way, shape, or form a fulfillment of every one of those holidays. And those holidays are all over the New Testament. So that's why, as Christians, to explore these holidays brings up so much amazing information. It's a goldmine for Christians, because it starts to put into place all these things that Jesus does and explain, help explain his actions, death, resurrection, ascension. All right, so first holiday, Passover. Well, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So just like that first Passover lamb in, in back in Egypt, in Exodus, when you're covered in the blood of the Passover, where your household is covered in the blood, you're delivered from the bondage of slavery. And you're taken out into a relationship with God. That's what Jesus does. We're covered in the blood of Jesus. We're delivered into this relationship with God. Unleavened bread, second holiday. Well, Jesus is the bread of the world. And he's the unleavened bread of the world because he's sinless. So you can't have any leaven in you. He's the unleavened bread. 
first fruits. That's the third holiday. Well, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That's what Paul calls him. So right there, we see one, two, three holidays in a row. He dies. It's Passover. He's the Passover lamb. He's buried as the bread of the world, the unleavened bread. And then that very next Sunday, because that's when first fruits happens, Jesus is raised. So he's batting a thousand on those three holidays. And if we don't catch that that is happening in that particular order, we're missing a piece of what God is up to. Next, what's the next holiday? Well, it's called the Feast of Weeks, which in Greek, Pentecost. So Jesus dies as the lamb, buried as the bread, raised as the first fruits. He walks around for 40 days. He says to his disciple, I'm ascending to go up to the Father. I want you to go to the temple and keep worshiping, and I'll be back. And when he comes back with the Holy Spirit, 10 days later, you're on Pentecost. So four holidays in a row, Jesus is fulfilling those holidays. And boy, we did Pentecost last year, and there's so much inside of that detail that you say, wow, I can see God is repeating things, and there's the meaning is much deeper than we give it. Now, if Jesus then sends the Holy Spirit, what's his next event? Well, we're waiting for his second coming, which is announced by trumpets. That's the festival of trumpets. So it announces his return. When There's going to be atonement for sin. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And then we enter into the joy of the Lord and the festival of tabernacles. The whole motif of the the festival is joy. It's, It's a heavenly festival. So right there, wow, you just say, holy mackerel, Jesus is, he is the fulfillment of all these holidays. So instead of keeping these holidays at a distance, oh no, those are Jewish holidays, no, 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 let's bring them in and let's take a look at them in our Christian context and see how our Savior interacted with these holidays and how he fulfills each one, so that at least when we get to the Day of Atonement, like this evening, we can acknowledge Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, and we're now connecting Leviticus with our New Testament, which is You know, Leviticus sometimes seems like a jungle you can get lost in. Well, it's helpful if we can connect it to our New Testament. Okay, that's worth the price of admission right there. Let's go go now and talk about this idea of Day of Atonement. And I want to, again, talk about it a little bit like if we're in our life cycle as a Christian. So, If you're still in Leviticus, what I'd like you to do is look, we're going to read just the very first part, Leviticus 23, 26 to 32. And this is the commandment to acknowledge the Day of Atonement. All right, so verse 26, well, that's a short verse, the Lord said to Moses. So it's a commandment from God, and remember last week, commandment is how you connect to God. We'll go over that again in a minute. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. So he's got a a sacred space and time that you're going to acknowledge God's atonement for our sin. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourself. 
We'll talk more about that. Why is that important that you're going to make this day different than every other day? You do it by changing something in your life that marks that. Present a food offering to the Lord. Verse 28, do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. So, there's the commandment. Now, as a community, the community has to come together and say, okay, now how are we going to follow that commandment? What are, what's the meaning behind it? How does it fit into our life, and how do we follow it? So, first, let's go through some definitions. And this is number three on your handout. If we go into the, just the idea of atonement, the word kipper is the idea of covering. So what's God going to do for the sins that you've committed? Whether it's inadvertent or you intended to commit the sins, God's going to cover over those sins. So you go through a ceremony, a ritual, where God says, okay, I'm going to cover over those sins. Well, how does he do that? Well, if you look at the definition of kipper, you'll get covering, and then you get the word propitiation. Propitiation is the idea that you're going to gain or regain favor. Who are we regaining favor with? With God, because, you know, I strayed off the path, and now I've got to go back to God and say, God, I repent, forgive my sins. He says, there's a sacrifice for that. Your sins are atoned for, and your sins are forgiven. Now we, we keep going. So the a propitiating sacrifice is one that does the covering for you. So that's what we would say that, that goat was. It's also what we would say Jesus is. So it brings you back into God's favor. And then what it does, what this holiday does, and we'll talk, this is going to be one of our central focus. What the holiday does is it brings together judgment and forgiveness. These are two attributes of God. God is a judge. He's a just judge, meaning it always fits. He gets it perfect. We don't. We're, we're, we're often terrible at justice. All actions will be judged, and that's not just for the people who don't believe in God. Their actions are judged, but so do Christians. I mean, plenty of Christians do things wrong, and oh, by the way, when you transgress the reality that is God, it will snap back on you, and judgment will happen, right? Try it sometime, you know, start living a, well, don't do this, but if you started telling lies or living a lie, well, it's going to, God's judgment's going to come back and smack you upside the head at some point. And that's not just for people who don't believe in God, it's for the people who believe in God, even more so, because your awareness that you've transgressed, you know, often makes it worse. So all judgments, I'm sorry, all actions will be judged. But God wants to forgive you. He's also a judge that wants to forgive you. So he's bringing together the idea that as a human being, all of your actions, if they're what we would call a sin, your past mistakes, they become a spiritual weight. So we're weighted down by our past sins, and forgiveness is the way to, to release that weight. What God wants more than anything is for you to live an unencumbered life, free from sin. So I'm going to forgive your sin so that you can go out into the world and change the world. Not just get to heaven one day, that's true too, but so that you 
can change the world because you're freed up from your past sin. They're no longer a burden. That's an important piece, as we'll look at in a minute. Okay, so Day of Atonement. The day God puts this whole idea that I'm a judge, but I also want to forgive, he puts it into a ritual. Why? Because rituals are very powerful. They cause us to bring our whole body, our whole body, mind, spirit, humanity, and make everything more concrete. You know, we have in our Christian faith embodied rituals. Baptism is an embodied ritual. You could have a class and say, well, think about the idea of baptism, but that's not as powerful as saying, let's go take your entire body underneath water and back out. And because you've committed your whole your whole self into that, the ritual becomes much more powerful. Same thing with communion. We all know that God wants to commune with us, but this little moment of communion becomes very powerful because you're in a sacred space and sacred time, and you're, you're actually doing an action that brings communion. So it makes it very, very powerful. What are we embodying? Well, we're embodying the fact that we're repentant, so it's a, the Day of Atonement covers repentance, it covers the judgment, because God has to judge our sins in order for them to be forgiven, and it brings about the forgiveness of God. So, that's, so you set aside an entire day of the year to focus on this. Now, I would argue this is more in line probably with, like I said last week, our Lent season. So in Lent, we give up things, we repent. We get ready for the Holy Week, and there's spiritual revival going on during the Lenten season. Okay, so that's Day of Atonement. It's a ritual, and it brings about the judgment and forgiveness from God. Now, we mentioned this last week. God gives us commandments, right? And as I said last week, you know, the moment you hear the word commandment, boo, nobody wants to do a commandment. It's just, we don't like the word commandment. It has a negative connotation to it. But in Hebrew, the word that we translate commandment is mitzvah. And what's cool about that is all Hebrew words come from a root, a root word, and then you'll add on to it to make different words. Well, the root of mitzvah is savah. And savah is a word that means to bind or connect. So the commandment isn't simply, go do this because I'm a despotic ruler and I want to force you into things. It's do this ritual because it's a way for us to connect with God. And so if we know that, then we don't approach it as a burden. We approach it as a season in our life where we repent, where we stand in front of God and say, God, I want to reconnect. I repent from my sins. Forgive us. God forgives us. and then. We now are renewed for the, for the year to come. We're connected back to God. So we take this commandment and we say, all right, but we have to put this in the overall context of all the holidays. Last week, I mentioned that we often study a holiday. We pull it out of the context of the whole scope of holidays and we try to study it. And then we miss that it's inside of a much b- bigger context. So just a quick review. Notice where the Day of Atonement is in the line of holidays. So you have Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, 
Pentecost, that's or Feast of Weeks, that's when we get the Holy Spirit, trumpets, and then almost at the very end is this idea of atonement. And then you get the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Day of Atonement is something that's, it actually comes later, right? And I'll show you in, in our Christian walk how I would explain how this comes later, but it's Passover unleavened bread when God delivers you by the blood of the Passover lamb into the relationship. He takes the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. He comes into a covenant relationship. His spirit wants to dwell with them. So just like we get the Holy Spirit, if you read in Exodus, God wants his presence to dwell with the people. But what happens as the people come out of, you know, Mount Sinai? Well, they, they sin. And so you need to have a, a, a something about atoning for sin before then you can fully enter into the, the joy of the Lord. So what I want to point out is Day of Atonement is an idea that you're already in relationship somehow with God. The Passover lamb is the one that pulls you out of all your bondage. The Day of Atonement sacrifice brings you back in to reconnect with God. So it's not, a, it's not so much... Well, here, let me give you a, a picture of... So if Christians... So think about a Christian and their, what I would call their salvation life cycle. Now, that, that might be a new term to you, but this is where we're going to get into the idea of salvation. So if a Christian says, I got saved, right? Most of us, when we say the phrase, are you saved? What we're asking is, did you have a moment where you confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and accepted him as your Savior and that you move into a relationship with God? So it's like this moment in time where you say, well, I got saved, but then I moved. I move to the next category. And you move into something that's called a saving relationship. So I went from, I got saved, into, and that's where all of us are today. We're in a saving relationship with God. But do we still make mistakes? Of course we do. And so we're in, this is where most of Christian life is lived, inside this saving relationship with God. Notice that even inside this saving relationship, we still cry out for deliverance from God. We still seek forgiveness when we've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that that's a one-and-done time. It means we're always going to make mistakes. Just like as they're coming out uh, in Egypt, they establish the relationship with God and then imme immediately break it by sinning. So you're saved, you go into a saving relationship, and one day at the final judgment, you will be saved again. Now that gets, it's like, how many different salvations do we have? Well, kind of a lot. And, oh, by the way, Jesus is the sacrifice for every single one of those, so he, he fits. But this Day of Atonement, so much of it in, the, in our daily life is, it's inside this relationship. We're in a relationship with God, and yet we stray. How do we come back to that relationship? It's a process of repentance and confession and seeking God's forgiveness to bring us back into that relationship. So this leads theologians to say something like this. You could say, I am saved. That's one. Move to the next. Now, I'm being saved. That's two. 
followed by, I will be saved in the final judgment. So if you read a theological textbook, you'll see this sentence somewhere in there where all three things, salvation covers all three things. Christians aren't immune to their own foibles when they become a Christian. So you're still in relationship with God in need of deliverance and some sort of bringing back into relationship with God. So at this one, when it says, I am saved, well, what, are, what sins is God forgiving? Everything in your past. And God says, from this point forward, you're born again new. It's like the, the old is gone, now move forward. Well, what about I'm, while we're a Christian, right? I'm being saved. Well, again, we all make mistakes, and we all go back and seek God's forgiveness, and we repent and confess and all of that. And God says, he's like the father and the prodigal son. I'll bring you back into relationship. I'm happy to do that. And then one day, we will be saved, meaning at the final judgment, Paul says, all will stand in front of the Bema seat of Christ. And you, you basically review your life, and you're awarded the righteousness of, of Jesus rather than your own. And so you will be saved. So salvation is all three. But what I want to focus on is, as Day of Atonement, is much more about your walk with God, that you want to set aside a time of year where you're going to go through a process of repentance, of seeking forgiveness, and of renewing yourself in a way to say, I'm going to walk the next year different. I'm going to do things differently. So if we go back to this idea of where, where in the holidays, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, that's like the first one. I'm saved. God delivered me through his grace. He brought me out into relationship. He gave me the Holy Spirit to empower me. But, oh, by the way, uh, I stumble all the time, and I need to go back and get repentance and deliverance and all of that. So picture the Day of Atonement not as a, here's how we get saved. It's, here's how I come back into relationship with God. We've seen this, ho- this picture before. There's obviously a huge divide between God and man, right? God is unlimited. Man has all kinds of limitations, and those limitations cause us to stumble all over the place. We can't know all things. We can't see the future. We have things from our past that weigh us down. It's, it's a, right? God understands that. We have a hard time living with God because of that. So he says, look, I'm going to give you commandments, and those commandments are going to help you connect with me. And as you connect with me, you become stronger. As you connect with me, the world changes around you. So you, got, you need to move through these as a, as a way to stay connected with me. If we go back to the, another idea here, God is holy, and guess what? We're not, right? We're imperfect. And so what we're in need of is forgiveness. God wants to forgive us, and we're in need of forgiveness. But God says, look, you have to do something. You have to be part of this forgiveness process, so I want you to confess, acknowledge your sin, repent, change your ways, go through a ritual that then, once you're in that ritual, you're now coming back into connection with God. That's what this holiday wants to do, bring us back into connection as God wants to forgive us. Now, so there's two ways to think about this, this, these holidays, all seven holidays. 
One of them is on the macro level, meaning on the big level, the whole, all seven holidays are a plan of redemption for the entire world. It's like God created a model that said, I want to deliver you. I want to bring you so my presence can dwell with you. And then I'm going to atone for your sins and enter the joy of the Lord. That's, that's a, he wants to do that for the whole world. He also wants to do that for you as an individual. So if you look at those holidays, as an individual, you can say, that's my plan of redemption too. I want so badly for people to read Exodus and say, this is my story too, right? I was delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb. I was brought out into covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ and given the Holy Spirit. I fail all the time and need repentance and forgiveness. And so I want to incorporate something in my life that cycles around and I keep remembering that. So it's, it's really, it's both the big picture and the small picture. And that's why God wants you to do it every single year. And I think that in our Christian faith, we do do that. We just do it differently than these biblical holidays. All right, I feel like I'm going really fast, and I probably am, and I'm watching the time, and the time is going by, and I apologize. Let's go back to this idea of judgment and forgiveness, right? So God is a God who forgives, right? God wants to forgive us. He knows that humanity is imperfect, and we need forgiveness. And so he says, okay, how are we going to do this together? Well, I'm going to give you a ritual. I'm going to give you something that helps you embody the idea that to move you through this process of forgiveness, right? So it brings us the ritual, just like communion. You know, if you've ever had that experience where you, you feel like God is distant, but then you walk into the sanctuary, it's a sacred space. It's during a service that's there to worship God, so it's sacred time. And then you, you do the communion. And you have this sensation that comes over you like, like you're coming closer to God. Yes, that's the ritual to bring you into connection with God, where you don't get the same idea if you're just thinking about it on a random day, because you're actually activating everything about you. Okay, that's this picture. We go back to our picture with God, is he's going to give us that ritual, something to walk through that then brings us back into. God's graces. Let me show you where this is going to connect to Day of Atonement, but it's where we find out that judgment and forgiveness exist in the same God. So if you have your Bible open to Exodus 34, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7, and you guys probably are aware of these verses because these are the Great attributes of God. It's always important to look, especially Exodus is a picture. It's not only the events that happened to Israel, but it also establishes a picture of our own salvation. Being delivered, brought into relationship, sinning, being a t having our sins forgiven, and then dwelling with the presence of God, which is what happens at the very end of Exodus. So, if we look at where Exodus 34 happens in the story, God delivered them through no work of their own. That's called grace. He delivers Israel. They go out to Mount Sinai. He creates a covenant relationship. So now they're in relationship with God. And as soon as they're in relationship with God, what do they do? The golden calf. 
they immediately. And that's kind of how our life is too, right? We stumble all over the place. Now, maybe it's not a golden calf, but it's something. The golden calf happens, and now they need forgiveness in order for God to come back and reconnect. And so this period right here, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, this is traditionally considered to be Yom Kippur. So Passover was when they came out of Egypt. Pentecost, or, or Feast of Weeks, is when God delivers on Mount Sinai, his, comes down on Mount Sinai, and then Moses goes up 40 days and 40 nights, and now you need forgiveness. So that's the, traditionally, this is connected with Day of Atonement, which is why we're talking about it today. So we see the attributes of God. So I'll read here, starting in verse 6. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. Now here comes all of God's attributes. A merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness, or loving kindness, and truth. Now some of your Bibles, instead of truth, say faithfulness, and I'll show you why I want to use truth. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and trans transgression and sin. So there's his forgiveness. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, meaning there's judgment. So it's not all forgiveness. There's judgment for your actions. So here you see merciful, gracious, slow to anger, God's patient, abounding in loving kindness. He's rooted in truth. He is truth. He forgives. So God is a God who forgives. That's one of his attributes. He also judges. So if you're guilty of a sin, there will be judgment for that. This is seen as the moment when God's going to forgive the people of Israel so that they can then build the tabernacle and his presence can dwell with them. And it's connected, of course, with the Day of Atonement because their sins are being atoned for. And one thing to notice, this is really, it's so, you'll never notice it in English, but in Hebrew, when it gets to the part about forgiving the iniquity, the transgression, and the sin, they use three different Hebrew words all to describe sin. So, inequity, transgression, and sin. And um, there's, a, there's a book called Theology and Exodus by Donald Gowan, and he says, the fact that they use three different words, instead of just saying, I forgive your sin, it's like saying, it's like saying, I forgive it. There's nothing outside of what you, can, what you can do as a human being that I can't forgive. It's, it's all encompassing. And they do that by using all three words, Hebrew words that come into the idea. So this is where we recognize that God right here is holy. He's a God that forgives. And he needs to then give us a commandment that brings us back into connection. That's Day of Atonement. Now, you could say, look, I can, I can ask for forgiveness any day of the week. And I, and I agree, because God is, our, God is the perfect high priest that's now inside the Holy of Holies eternally. So at any moment, you can say, I forgive my, God, forgive me, I confess my sins. But I think there's something very powerful about what happens when you have one Time of the year, you're going to set aside sacred time, a day. You're going to set aside sacred 
actions, like I'm going to fast, so my day is going to be different, and I've spent a whole season of the year, there's something very powerful about that ritual that's different than just if I'm on a Tuesday and I ask for God for forgiveness, and he'll forgive you, but it's the idea of taking it to the next level. Okay, hopefully, I think, I think I've beat that horse enough, but let me show you one little piece to Day of Atonement that you, you probably didn't know about, but it's cool because it's going to connect with this exodus. This is what we'll finish on. Day of Atonement. Tomorrow afternoon, towards the end of the day, the Jewish day ends, of course, at sundown. They're going to, at all the synagogues, well, maybe not this year, they'll do it on Zoom, but they read the book of Jonah. Now, why the book of Jonah? So, if you want, you can turn to the book of Jonah, because we're going to read a couple passages. Jonah is between Obadiah and Micah, which I know probably doesn't help you, because Obadiah is only like one page. We want to look at the book of Jonah. It's a very strange book. It causes you immediately to start asking all kinds of questions. And the cool thing is, I'll show you, the book ends with a question, and it never gets answered. So. The book of Jonah connects to Day of Atonement. Why? Well, the whole book of Jonah is about repentance, judgment, and forgiveness. Have you heard of this before? Well, who's repenting? There's judgment and forgiveness. The Gentiles. It's the people at Nineveh. You have to do it. It's like a careful reading and, and a little bit of meditation on Jonah. And you start to see something about Jonah. Jonah is really angry. He's really angry, that, and he knows the truth. And I'm going to show you why that's important, that the word truth. He knows the truth about God, but he's trying to ignore it. And the truth is, God will forgive Nineveh. And Jonah does not want that. He's not happy. But Nineveh repents, and God forgives them. They repent. Oh, and by the way, they fast. And God forgives them, and Jonah gets so upset. So it's, it's really like, we have to, you read the book of Jonah, and you have to ask, what part of me is like Jonah? What part of me is upset that that guy got forgiven by God? Something like that. It causes you to do that. So let's go, I want to show you a couple things in Jonah. Turn to Jonah chapter 4, which isn't hard to find because it's only two pages. Once we read this, you'll you'll see why, verse 1 and 2, why we can connect it to what we just read in Exodus and why we can connect it to Day of Atonement. So, verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Now, what displeased him? That Nineveh was forgiven. So, he's really upset about that. So, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? So, notice, Jonah's reflecting back on something he said to God, that which isn't told to us. Probably, if I go there and they repent, you'll forgive them. I don't want to go there. Now, that's not told to us, but you could see some, some conversation he had with God. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. Then we get verse 2. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. Where have we just heard this before? Well, from Exodus. And one who relents from doing harm. So, he's reciting the, the attributes of God. 
And what's interesting about it is he leaves out one attribute. It's the attribute that he's trying to ignore. He leaves out the attribute of truth, which goes right there next to that loving kindness. So he knows God will forgive. He's not happy about the fact that God will forgive. Uh, Last, okay, last verse, and we'll finish up with this. So if you go down to verse 10 and 11, I just want to show you how it ends with a question and why God is so is now kind of ribbing Jonah here. So God had grown up a plant to give Jonah some shelter and then withered the plant in one day. So verse 10, the Lord said to Jonah, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Now, what he's saying is, I made that plant, and I also made the people of Nineveh. So shouldn't I be compassionate towards my creation? And why, Jonah, are you not compassionate with me? So then verse 11, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, meaning they don't know which way they're going? So it shouldn't I be concerned, Jonah, and shouldn't you show concern too? And then it just finishes this, and also many animals. And that's how Jonah ends. So read through Jonah sometime again, but notice it's all, it's, it's Day of Atonement, and Jonah's upset because he knows God's going to forgive. Okay, so what did we learn today? Well, God wants to forgive us. He provides us the mechanism called Day of Atonement, a space in our year that brings us into a ritual that we embody the idea, the judgment, the forgiveness of of God. So, sorry, I got distracted because I looked at my next slide and I forgot to change it. So this is from last week, Feast of Trumpets, but it should say Day of Atonement. Okay, it's just another way of looking at Day of Atonement. All year for us can be a Day of Atonement. Anytime we sin, we can go back to God. God wants to forgive us. He knows we're going to make mistakes. And our sacrifice, our scapegoat is Jesus. And so we can enter back into that relationship with God. All right, I'm going to stop my share. And I know we're running fast on time. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.